You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel, and uh, you probably heard me preparing. I got myself all all in the leather because uh, I couldn't get my uh, person and all the rest of it, but it's all under control. Uh, because today we're going to be talking about the Real Good Film Festival. Great title. And uh, the person we're going to speak to is, of course, the director of it, uh, Chris Lucre. G'day, uh, Chris. How you. are you? <laughs> I'm really good. How are you? I'm really good too, because uh, I investigated the Real Good uh, Film Festival before uh, I started this chat. And um, I'm very impressed. Tell, tell the listeners what it's all about. Yeah, so the Real Good uh, Film Festival is a, is a one-day Australian short film festival uh, located at the Lido Cinemas in Hawthorne from um, it's uh, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. this Saturday, the 22nd of April. And, and our focus really is to spotlight the best of Australian sh- uh, short filmmaking over the past few years. Um, so we're not a premier festival, which means that we, we can really handpick uh, the best films from around the country that have that have may have premiered at, say, Cannes or may have been an Oscar nominee, for instance. We're screening a film this year that was the uh, film called An Ostrich Told Me the World is Fake and I Think I Believe It, which is a um, uh, was nominated for the Best Animated Short Film Oscar this year for the uh, the director who's... Um, that was his film school project, a really remarkable achievement. So, yeah, our, our goal really is to spotlight um, sort of emerging filmmakers and, and showcase their work and also involve them very heavily in the festival through a program of uh, talks and uh, networking events. And um, this year we're also running a really uh, significant collaboration with uh, Umbrella Entertainment, who's sponsoring our Best Short Film Prize, and they're also going to be on hand to kind of basically scope out new talent for uh, various uh, initiatives that they have coming up, uh, including a new production company that they've co-founded with uh, Julie Ryan of um, uh, Rolf the Here and Red Dog fame. Um, so they're looking to develop genre projects. So my job really is to, is to, more broadly within the remit of the festival, is to kind of encourage and support short-form filmmaking, but also you know, help uh, prop the filmmakers up and help elevate them uh, within industry as well. Yeah, the, the uh, short film makes uh, short films are a uh, a starting point, aren't they? I mean, they're not just a starting point because they they're, they're uh, a genre of their own type, but they are a place where uh, developing filmmakers often uh, create uh, the beginnings, the the fire for their larger career, um, and something of this nature is a real. Uh, bread and butter um, sort of opportunity to insert themselves into the film industry, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and I suppose what we at Real Good really love about uh, short films is that they're undiluted. They're really pure in terms of the director's or writer-director's kind of visions because they're not often beholden to the same kind of pressures that larger budgeted long-form productions are in terms of financiers and screen agencies and things like that. A lot of short filmmaking in Australia is, is largely unsupported uh, through the traditional mechanisms. I mean, most of the screen agencies don't have traditional short film funds in the way that they may have done, say, 10 or even 20 years ago. Um, so, uh, But also, because the budgets are usually a lot lower on these, on these productions, filmmakers really have the opportunity to kind of innovate and the necessity, in fact, of needing to innovate and explore and, and find creative solutions to problems. So it means that um, oftentimes you've got you've got these really kind of original, interesting visions displayed on screen that um, is a great way of, of, you know, for people coming in looking at wanting to sort of pick up talent and take them further. It's a really great way of being able to see what the kind of the, the untrammeled, pure vision of a filmmaker is by looking at their short films. Um, and certainly this year's uh, festival edition is, is no exception to that. It might, might be the, the, the most sort of significant spread of films we've ever had at the festival. Yeah, yeah. The um, If you go back to the history of this festival, something that really struck me is that uh, it's about the filmmakers themselves. Uh, I mean, I've spoken to filmmakers or actors who have gone into making films of their own because they want to be, they want to see the films, they want to, they want to uh, be in films that they want to create. Yeah. And, and, yep. th- and this particular film festival began as mates sitting around uh, wanting to have the experience of seeing their own films up there with their uh, colleagues, but also in a a way that they'd like to demystify the watching of films as well, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So, and all credit to original the original festival director John Roebuck for this. Like he had some, you know, like a whole bunch of mates who were all filmmakers who were making films, and the desire to sort of start real good really very much did come out of that. Well, let's just create a space where we can show each other's work and hang out and talk. I think that's the really crucial thing. Um, because, uh, you know, we, we have, uh, you know, numerous spaces across the country and obviously in Victoria as well for filmmakers to come together and present short films. But there aren't as, as, as many spaces where, um, because of the format of our festival, where people can spend a prolonged amount of time among, in each other's company throughout the course of the day and really get down into the nuts and bolts of, of uh, developing friendships and possible future collaborations. So it really is halfway between, and it was set up by John, very deliberately is this halfway between kind of a, a film festival and a sort of a party informal networking hangout kind of vibe um, specifically to offer uh, the kind of um, atmosphere and support that, that filmmakers themselves are kind of always yearning for especially at the start of their careers when they're still in the process of uh, building up friendships uh, with, with like-minded uh, practitioners. Yeah, because uh, making films is a collaborative art. I mean, mm. you can um, you, you can do it so, in solitary uh, way, but uh, you have to actually be able to communicate. And uh, the Lido is a perfect uh, place because you've you've maintained the core uh, theory of the original uh, festival. You're the third mm. festival director. Uh, thirty-five, uh, what twenty-five minute sessions followed by a thirty-five minute break, giving you a chance to grab a fresh beer, some food, and debate the films with friends. And that's one of the reasons why the Lido is a great place to do it, right? 
It is, because there's so many little breakout spaces there. We, we take four screens at the Lido, um, often simultaneously. So we've got sessions running throughout the day, uh, but we're also running sessions concurrently, talk sessions concurrently from 2 p.m. down at the, uh, at the jazz room, just downstairs. So it's a great opportunity for people to kind of jump in and out of different sessions, go down, catch a beer with some filmmaker friends, meet someone new, and then go down to the jazz room and listen to a filmmaker talk and then jump back up again to the rooftop get another beer, get something to eat, and go into another session. So it's it's a little bit like a, a bit of a, a film labyrinth slash jamboree, actually. It's it's one of the sort of more exciting things about the festival is that we really do encourage, you know, the people to circulate around the Lido complex because that's how they're going to get a chance to, A, see the most films, and B, have the most sort of interesting, productive encounters with other people. Yeah, well, you, you, you uh, failed to mention the rooftop, uh, entertainment area. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so um, traditionally we've run this festival in summer, in the sort of the waning days of summer, where it's very stunning, and some people love going out to the top, top sitting up on sitting up on deck chairs and, and listening to our DJ play. Uh, this year it is it is still going to be sunny and, and quite warm, but maybe not as warm as summer. So we're we're doing the DJ set uh, on the middle floor, um, uh, but upstairs will definitely still be available, and there'll be drinks and. We'll be taking food orders up there as well. So it's it's one of the places I like hanging out the most because you get a beautiful view over Glenferry Road, and um, you know when you emerge from a, a darkened cinema session, it's great. To, it's a great place to just come out for a breather, have a quick chat, have a drink, and then go back into another session. Uh, you're on uh, Showreel with Annie, and I'll just remind our listeners that we're talking to Chris Luskri. Have I said it correctly? How do you say it's, it? Uh, it's it's Luskri actually. Luskri, yeah, Luskri. Luskri, uh, who, who is the uh, uh, director of a fantastic uh, short film festival called uh, Real Good Film Festival, which is on this Saturday, right? The 22nd of this April. This Saturday, indeed. Yep. Yeah. And it's going to be at the Lido in Hawthorne. Um, I, uh, let's get to the films themselves. There's 22 films. And I was, you said they're films from right across Australia. Tell me about how you collected up these films. Cause we actually did speak to, um, uh, the film that maker that you were talking about. Um, oh, here we go. Uh, Lachlan's film, and yeah, Lachlan told me the world is fake, and I think I believe it, which is an amazing title. Yeah, amazing title, amazing film, and lovely guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the complete package of that film and that filmmaker for sure, um, and a real discovery because I mean, it's, obviously, I watched it after the Oscar nomination, but um, you know, I was startled to find out that it, it was a Griffith Film School grad film. Uh, I just thought, how how is that even possible? Given that he he served so many different roles on the on the film himself, not just a writer, director, animator, but also uh, puppet and set fabrication. So, but also uh, the sophistication, very yeah, sophisticated film. In, enormously sophisticated, kind of like a little bit in the style of, uh, you, you know, Charlie Kaufman, but very much also its own thing and um, sort of hu- humorous and devastating in equal measure. Um, <laughs> That's right. Uh, you know, you come away with a bit of an existential hangover after watching the film, So, but in a, in a delightful way. So, but I suppose the broader sort of ethos motivating the program is... Um, did you, you know, go and uh, seek them? Did you go and seek the films, or both, did the people both. come to you? What I, I, we would do two things. We would go and, and we'd encourage a general call-out, of which, we, you know, there are a number of films that we're playing in the program that we received via the general call-out. But then as lead program, I, I would also go out and, and headhunt uh, particular films that were on my radar 
um, I'm, I'm asked to see links and watch them. So it's, it was really a very proactive process this year, um, and partly because we just had a lot to catch up on. We didn't run last year, so we had two years, two and a half years worth of films. All the post-COVID films were films that were, you know, all the films that were shot during COVID are the films that posted at the end of 2021, 2022. And so those were the films we hadn't screened in the year prior because we didn't run. So it was just great to see, uh, you know, a whole bunch of films come through that um, in some ways were responses to COVID, in some ways maybe weren't or weren't as obvious. Um, and seeing the way that various themes emerge across the program is always really, really fascinating. There's a great emphasis on families. Uh, there's a great emphasis on um, the female experience and the female gaze um, and female and gender diverse filmmakers more broadly, I think, comprise 50% of the program. That wasn't at all strategic. It just happened. Um, it was a delightful thing to happen. But I think a testament to um, the fact that, you know, um, filmmakers from non-white patriarchal hegemonic backgrounds are actually producing much of the most interesting work in the country at the moment. Um, and so it's something we're very proud of is to stand behind the program and to say, well, actually, the next generation of voices coming through are not white men. And, um, you know, they're, they're going to be sort of the creative leaders in the industry in the next, in the next uh, 10, 15, 20 years. So, um, you know, I, I suppose the majority of them are younger filmmakers. That being said, we do have some uh, really special guests this year that um, have just this morning flown out from the Northern Territory, and that's uh, three members of the Karabing Film Collective, which is this um, remote uh, Baluan Northern Territory-based Indigenous film collective that are not widely known across Australia, sadly, as much as they perhaps should be, but they have had their work screened in Australia at uh, places like the Melbourne uh, International Film Festival, supported by people like Michelle Carey, but also in art institutions uh, and galleries around the world at some of the most prestigious institutions like Museum of Modern Art and the Rotterdam Film Festival, iFilm Museum, Palais de Tokyo, Centre Pompidou, you name it. They've, they've had their stuff screened widely. But in Australia, it's, we're, we're really behind the times catching up with the the, the genuine greatness and, and innovation of their work. So we're unbelievably proud to be screening them. And they're actually going to be closing the... Their film, A Day in the Life, is going to be closing the evening. It's going to be the last film screened, and it's going to screen across all screens simultaneously and be followed by Q&A. Um, and hopefully at that point, uh, all the uh, people attending the festival will have a chance to see that film because it's one of the absolute highlights of the... It's like no other film that's really been made in Australia, to be honest. It's kind of this wild... Um, hybrid documentary, ad agate prop, political essay film. So um, really, really proud of having that film in the program. Yeah, the, uh, that actually leads straight into the uh, uh, wide-ranging methodologies that different filmmakers have employed in yep. their short films. It's quite fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, it's just a cre an incredibly rich and fertile space. You know, there are people operating with budgets in excess of 100 to $150,000. You know, we've got films that are international co-productions like Freedom Swimmer, which was a, a you know, French-Australian co-production that had money put in by both Arte France and Screen Australia. That's probably the most well-resourced short film that we have in the program and feels almost like a mini-feature film in a way. Uh, it's kind of this beautiful animated, partially animated documentary about, um, you know, the, the successive waves of... of um, emigration to, China, uh, to Hong Kong from China and the, yeah. and the journeys that people took over the seas, very often very dangerous journeys 
um, that people took over the seas in order to, to escape the influence of the Chinese government, the oppressive force of the Chinese government. It sort of compares the experience in the you know, first big wave of migration in the 80s through to what's happening in Hong Kong uh, currently with the crackdowns on, on peaceful protests by the Chinese government. So it's a really sort of very political film, but also an incredibly formally beautifully one. It's just gorgeous in terms of the use of animation. Uh, there's actually quite a strong uh, Asian uh, perspective in this uh uh, program, isn't there? Yes, yeah, and and that's very much reflective of the films being made. And, and uh, there were there were a number of other films that I dearly wished to screen this year that I just thought would tip the balance of the program too 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 much in that direction, but which we will be considered for next year. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's um, Cambodian Australian filmmaker Alison Chorn's film Blind Body, which is this gorgeous, delicate and ephemeral portrait of her grandmother Kim yeah. and the way in which Kim's failing eyesight and, and progressive, uh, um, you know, late-onset dementia under, uh, reveals um, sort of her haptic memories of her time in the refugee camps in Thailand in the 80s, the second the Khmer Rouge. So it's just really beautiful, delicate portrait about memory, um, incredibly sort of sensory and immersive. Um, and, you know, Alison's a friend and collaborator, and I've known her for many years. Um, all the way through to a beautiful film called uh, Tuina, which was made by um, emerging Chinese-Australian filmmaker uh, William Duan, who is really, really one to watch, uh, actually. He's working on a number of great uh, films. And that's a, a beautiful uh, queer film about, uh, I suppose, a, a, um, a young man's coming, coming into himself in a way. It's not so much a coming-out film or even a coming-of-age film. It's much more delicate and liminal than that. Mm. Um, and it's just sort of beautifully composed and sort of a really deeply emotional film, beautifully shot and beautifully performed. Um, and obviously we have, you know, Freedom Swimmer as well. So, um, you know, I think that, that it's reflect, more broadly reflective of the range of voices that are coming through. And um, I, I also, you know, uh, co-sponsored a, a uh, drinks recently at Acme between uh, Clara Law, who's now Melbourne-based, the great you know, Hong Kong now, Australian filmmaker Clara Law, and a whole bunch of Asian Australian uh, filmmakers. Uh, I wanted to get, uh, you know, create an opportunity to meet Clara, and it was really evident coming out of that uh, just how many interesting people there are operating in that space at the moment, and um, from a variety of voices, including, uh, um, you know, not just uh, Chinese or Hong Kong Australian, but Taiwanese Australian, Japanese Australian, Korean Australian, yeah, Filipino yeah, Australian, right. Cambodian Australian. It's it's quite broad. And I was going to say that there's an element of uh, appreciation of uh, a variety of age groups. Like you say that the yeah. filmmakers are very young, but are quite young. But uh, things like uh, an elderly Japanese woman is confronted with her past as she spends. Yeah, so yeah. That's from, uh, so so Nozunaban. So so Michael is a um, I don't know how old he is. He might be in his forties. I'm not sure. Um, so yeah, that, that's a that's a really beautiful film. Uh, that's uh, a really quite an innovative film in a way because it's that Michael's a, a filmmaker who is um, consistently pushing at the boundaries of of different filmic forms. So he's he's worked on live documentaries, multi-channel installations. He's also worked in VR, and the film The Zunaban is one of the first short films. Uh, to my knowledge, it was made originally for NFT, which is to say the whole film is chaptered. It's a, and it's structured around uh, an elderly Japanese woman's grief rituals in coming to terms with the loss of her partner, traditional grief rituals. And each section of the film is a few minutes. You know, it's like yeah. it's a series of chaptered moments 
Uh, it's presented as a, as a short film, but it also has an output online as a, a, a I think, pay-per-view NFT or ha- however that works. Actually, I don't really have any idea how it works. But, so there's different ways you can engage with that yeah. work. So it's really interesting, um, you know, and, and non-traditional use of the form because it was all shot on 16mm, some gorgeously shot film. Um, but, you know, for a filmmaker like Michael to sort of be you know, really innovative and playful in that space and, and, and you know, and take this really what would ordinarily be enormously obscure kind of subject matter to to apply this kind of new technology perspective on, I think, really, really fascinating. It's like a, a fascinating uh, um, conjunction of, of filmic approach and uh, and format. It's like walking through uh, filmmakers' minds, isn't it? It's fantastic. This... It is, yeah. And each each film will give you a different window into different perspectives. Like one of the more sort of, I would say, uh, controversial films in the program is a film by uh, Noura Niasari, who's a wonderful Iranian-Australian filmmaker. She's just, just a, originally you know, from Iran and, and came to Australia as a, as, as a young child and then grew up here. But um, she was mentored by Abbas Kurostami, and she's just finished her, her debut feature film, Shida, which won the Audience Award at Sundance. Wow. And she's, she's very, <laughs> very good. She's, she's the only filmmaker in the program that's had a feature film. Yeah. So she's already sort of jumped jumped over the hurdle of going from short to feature-length films. But she's very kindly agreed to, to allow us to screen her film, Tam, which is uh, you know an enormously powerful single-take drama about wow. um, a woman's experiences of sexual assault. So it's you know, it's a film. Yeah, you know, it was. You know, uh, one. It's one of the films up up for best short film, and I know uh, we had a lot of debate uh, about the film during the judges' screening. So it's, it's really interesting to see. It would be really interesting to see people's responses to that film and to see what kinds of conversations are, are engendered afterwards. I think it's a a pretty essential film. It's a film of the moment. Um, it's a film about the experiences of women, and it's a film told from that lens. It's a film with a female gaze, and I think, despite its its extraordinary emotional brutality, uh, it is a very hard watch. It it, it really does uh, subvert the narratives I think that are often found in that space, predominantly by being about solely trained on the perspective of of, of a woman's experience in that situation. So. Uh, oh, amazing yeah, I'd be stuff. very curious to see what people think of it. Yeah, yeah, you're going to have a tough time deciding. Uh, yeah. Before we move out of the films, uh, I did want to point out that there are incredibly homegrown type of subject matter as well, um, as in onions. That's an interesting uh, concept. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the other one of the other strands is, of course, of the program is, is personal filmmaking. So, films made at home. Literally, in the case of onions, it's a film that the director Emmy made about her dad. Uh, and the onion growing cycle of her father's uh, family farm. You know, it could get more sort of personal than that in a way, and in a way it's a counterpart to, to Blind Body Allison's film. But it's, we really wanted to put personal filmmaking at the forefront of the program and to assert that as as a, a necessarily important mode of expression um, because oftentimes the films are, you know, when you make a personal film, and I, I have a background as a documentary filmmaker, so I very much can relate to that process, um, it, it's a continual process of negotiation and discovery between you and a filmmaker and the participant on screen, and and that yields very interesting storytelling, screen storytelling, as well as uh, a very particular, very intimate connection to the audience. So we're actually running a, a, a session on, on the documentaries in our project program called When Documentary Gets Personal that talks about those relationships, what it is when a documentary filmmaker like Emmy 
uh, or like Alison, actually has a personal relationship with the with the participants in their films. Sometimes a familiar relationship, as in the case of those two films. And and what does that mean when you're making a film with your family? You know, yeah, it's amazing. Um, I just find it so amazing. I hope you're recording these talks because I can't uh, come and do the recording. So, well, yes, we'll, we'll be documenting them. Yeah, so hopefully they'll 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 yield some um, yeah, just some interesting discussion. Even if people in the room come away. You know, from the talks, thinking that uh, filmmaking is an approachable activity, filmmakers are friendly, I can go and talk to someone, maybe I'm a film student myself if I'm attending the festival for the first time and I'm using it as an opportunity to meet filmmakers and to learn about the craft of filmmaking, then this is going to be a great festival to do that on because we don't just focus on the directors, we're also focusing on the other crafts as well. So the talks that we're running are all very much themed around different aspects of the, the short filmmaking experience. Um, and and we, we've been speaking to a range of people, including editors and cinematographers, uh, as well as uh, writers and directors. So I think it's important for people to really get a sense just how collaborative filmmaking is, I think. Um, yeah, I've run out of time with you, but uh, it's a fantastic festival. It, and before we go, uh, Chris, you have to tell people that about the major award sponsors because the everything about this festival is dedicated towards the making and supporting of uh, filmmakers, and the prizes are the same. It is, yes. So we're, we've been really, um, you know, very diligent this year about creating awards that that would be uh, of value to the filmmakers that win them. So. Um, so our major award sponsors, uh, we have to thank firstly, of course, Umbrella Entertainment and Ari Harrison and his team, who sponsored, uh, who's sponsoring a cash prize for the Best Short Film Award, um, which is our major cash prize of this year. We also want to thank Blue Rock. Um, oh, you have to say, it's $2,000. It's $2,000. So it's like for a small festival like us, it's a, it's That's a pretty great. substantial, yeah, we're thrilled that they're willing to commit. Uh, you know, it's uh, also the first step, I think, of a longer conversation and a statement of faith in the festival on their part. So it's really, yeah, uh, yeah terrific. And Ari is a fantastic person, young visionary leader in the screen industry. So I think he's, he's absolutely got it. Oh, I have to. We have to finish. We have to finish. We've only got yeah. three minutes to no, go. All right. So a range of awards: uh, best documentary, special documentary, best on-screen talent, best off-screen talent and the Audience Award, all of them have substantial prizes, including in-kind support that will allow the filmmakers uh, to have the resources to work on their next short film. Thank you very much, Chris. And just tell them quickly when, when it's on so that they know to go and buy a ticket. This Saturday, 22nd of April, Lido Cinemas, go to the Real Good Film Festival website, rgff.com.au, and you'll be able to purchase tickets uh, there. Please do come. Yeah, there's tickets are still available, and it's going to be a great event. Yeah, I think so too. Thanks very much for talking to me. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, and coming up next is Published or Not because we're right to the end of The Wire and we're going to go out with a Bart Willoughby song.
matter of mine. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.